Welcome to Recovery Uncovered, your all things recovery podcast. Recovery Uncovered is produced by MHAB Enterprises, a division of the Northeast Group of Companies located right here in Plattsburgh, New York. I'm your host, Mike Carpenter. Affectionately known as MHAB Mike. And I'm your co-host, Betsy Vicencio. Affectionately known as BV the Normie. We have one goal in these podcasts, and that's not to suck. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Recovery Uncovered. I'm your host, Mike Carpenter, affectionately known as MHAB Mike. MHAB Mike. This is my sidekick, Betsy Vicenzia. What are we calling you today? I don't know. MHAB Mike. <laughs> I don't know. What, what are you calling What me are we today? calling you? Are we good today? Are we getting along? Are we? So listen, I think we're getting along, evidenced by your behavior at the uh, Dunkin' Donuts. At the Dunkin' Donuts. Do they think that guy heard that? Oh my gosh. So. Introduce me, if you would. Betty Boop. No, he didn't. So, so listen, Betsy, I, I go. I said, I go. <laughs> we go to the, she goes to the drive-thru to get me a coffee. And I said, Betsy, where are you? And she said, I'm at the drive-thru. And I'm like, stop talking. So, and so I yelled out, I yelled out, no, Betsy, stop asking me to sleep with you. I'm not going to. <laughs> so, I'm I'm pretty pretty sure yeah. so my window's down. He's on the phone. <laughs> and I'm just shaking my head. We left our ass. <laughs> Those people you got up there. It like, was ridiculous. Who is this old woman? And what I know, do, and I'm like, and then the about? old woman's going to drive up to the other window, and they're going to go, uh-huh. Lovely. <laughs> so we're getting along today? It's good today? Think so. Look, uh, I brought you a coffee. You did. Thank you. You didn't very want to use my mug, though. I should we start with the sweatshirt mug. today, or should let's we? Do the, let's All right, do the so sweatshirt. So first off, Kelly, you get a view of the sweatshirt. All right. This is my. I'm sorry, I'm late. I didn't want to come sweatshirt, and this one was pretty appropriate because our guest today. We asked him <laughs> yesterday about 12 hours ago if he could be here, and he said he had some stuff to do, and so he was going to be a little late. So I said, "All right, this is a good one for me to wear." And it absolutely fits. So we fits. walked over here, but it today, fits. today we're going to talk about. You didn't even introduce me, still. All right, so this is Betsy, uh, affectionately you. known as BV the Normie. Thank you. Kind Good morning. Of, kind Good morning. of Normie when Good morning, you see baby. her. The Normie. Yeah, yeah. I, get, I get classified as the Normie. I, as a normal? Yeah, it's kind of a normal person. Because this is <laughs> a, a lot about the organization. <laughs> <laughs> wow. E oh. Easy. Right to easy, the hardcore easy here. Now. So, yeah, Yikes. because we talk about recovery, like, we, you, well, you know, you're familiar with it. Let me introduce you first, okay. and then we'll come back and joke around about all this stuff. So, so our guest today is uh, one of the premier employment service owners in the greater Plattsburgh area, and he's a lot of other things, and I've known Dave for a long time. And, you know, one of the stories I want to tell is, is back when you and I first got to know each other, I think one of the phrases I said to you when you were first here was, we want the worst of the worst. Whatever, when we said, you're going to be our hiring service, send us over the people who are the worst, the ones that nobody else will hire. Throwaways. And I, I think you really like that. You're like, oh, God, that's great. We'll have some fun with this. <laughs> we got and a few of those. over the years, um, we've had tremendous success. But Dave runs, Dave and Elizabeth run Coyer Staffing. Right. And you do an awful lot of placement for permanent hires and an awful lot of placement for temp workers. And today, we're going to spend some time talking about. Uh, employment and recovery and what it means. And you were part of an event that we put together. In fact, you co-sponsored it with us 
to bring employers together to talk about hiring people in recovery on behalf of Spark a few years ago. Right. And we garnered a tremendous amount of information out of that. And you are my resident expert when it comes to you know employment wow. um, and employment in recovery. And in, in fact, you one of your employees, which I'm sure you're going to talk about, so I won't give all this away, is intimately involved with getting people at MHAB employed and does tremendous work and has yeah. you know helped us with a lot of people. So our guest today, if you don't know, is David Coyer. Okay. Are you the president, though, or is Elizabeth no. the president? No. She's yeah. CEO. I'm COO. You're COO. She owns more yeah. of the company than I do. She's which, way which more important Which the last time that happened, that got me into a heap of trouble. Clearly, you didn't learn from your mistakes. I said to my attorney, I said, am I really getting myself into this minority ownership thing again? But uh, um, it's a far better situation than it was last time. But no. And you, guys work, we run, and you work together, and you're still happily married, and I think that's really cool. Yeah, we are... Uh, <laughs> I, I see he hesitated. We're, for <laughs> <laughs> no, we're fortunate that yeah. way, because um, the truth of the matter is, Elizabeth is the driver of the business, and I feel like every time I say that, people are sort of saying, maybe they might be feeling that, you know, I, I kind of have to say that, but if you really knew me, and if you really knew her, and I think the employees at our company, they really know this, it's absolutely the way it is. She has been a hard worker, a driver, and an achiever all of her life. And it's just been something that's been ingrained in her. It's something that's really even hard to sort of mold into kids. Our two boys don't have an ounce of the motivation that she has just to work. When she and I first met, she was a teacher at Osable, teaching Spanish. And after school, she would go right from there to tour aid travel, and she would, do, she would sell vacations. She was just trying to put a roof over her head with yeah. she and her son. She was a single mom. Uh, she, of course, she had the support of her mom around the corner. But I bring all that up because my first sort of indoctrination into Elizabeth was that I'm dating somebody who is like, she's a workaholic. And I have to keep reminding her to stop working and like take it easy. And yeah. so fast forward to us starting a business together. I mean, she was the one who said, hey, we got to dust ourselves off. we got to start our own business. Here's what we're going to do. Of course, your help and support, just emotional support through that time period mm -hmm. saying, hey, listen, we're here for you if you need anything, was without a doubt super impactful and, and, and helpful. But from getting the business going and then getting up every day and going to work and just grinding it out, I mean, she... I don't, she hadn't worked in staffing before, but through osmosis and being with yeah. me for all those years, she sort of understood the business to a certain extent. But she would generate the payroll weekly. She would try to figure out the invoicing weekly. She was trying to manage the staff, HR internally. All of these things that she had never done before, which is really more complex than people know, because most businesses you might have 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 employees, right? And yeah, you gotta pay them all, but you know, the, the money's there, um, you, you don't have to have all these different ways you have to collect the money to pay the people and uh, what I'm talking about is like having all the temp employees yeah. out at all these different locations. You know, I got all the credit for, the, for going out and you know, forming relationships with the businesses and you know, shaking hands and kissing babies, but she's, <laughs> she's back at the office grinding it out, trying to figure out how to make the business work. And she doesn't like doing that. She doesn't want to be out in the public. She'd rather you be out there in the public doing it and she'll just be back there making sure it operates yeah, well. It's, it's funny because she's really good at it all, but her, her focus is there. It's like she really run, likes running the business. She, and she, 
likes the fact that I get to lever my my relationships and my experience in a way that's super helpful for the business, but she does like running it. So we're gonna ask you a ton of questions and we'll hear all about your business. Your wife, her father was the Spanish teacher at Plattsburgh High School yes. back in the day, is yeah. that right? Yeah, Senor Gorlitz. Yes, I failed out of his class I think three different times. <laughs> Did you really? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so you I, had him. He was a great teacher too, but I was so, you know, I was such a bad student back then that, oh yeah, yes. Yeah. And I knew that when I, when you first, when, when you and I were first getting close and he and that you were married to her, I, I knew when looking at her name, I'm like, because it's not in, you know, it's not a name in Plattsburgh that you're gonna see a whole bunch right. of family. So I, I knew, I'm like, her father was the Spanish teacher, sure. Great it's, guy. Yeah, I, I unfortunately never met him. He yeah. passed away from cancer in 2003, the year before Lucas was born in 2004. Um, and it's really one of the, you know, the things that I wish, if I could turn back the hands of time, sure. I just wish I would have an opportunity to have conversations with him because, you know, he had such a strong impact on Elizabeth. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's like that classical, you know, daughter, just loves her dad, had yeah. this great relationship. You know, she's, she's a Spanish teacher because he was a Spanish teacher. You know, he sort wow. of influenced all of that in her life. And uh, it's the true, it, it's, it's the heartbreak that'll never go away from yeah. her. You know, mm -hmm. all these years later, yeah. she still gets upset about it. She still can get emotional about it. When we got married on the beach in Cancun, um, we spread his, you know, his ashes were spread in the water of Cancun when he passed away. Mm -hmm. But when we got married, we rolled up our, our the uh, pant legs and she pulled up her dress and you walked into the ocean sort of symbolizing that he was sort of part of the, uh, the wedding ceremony too. And a lot of his best friends flew down and they were at oh, the uh, cool. at the wedding that's as awesome. well. It was well, really he was beautiful. he actually was a good teacher. I was a bad student. It wasn't the other way around. <laughs> I was not a good student with a bad teacher. It was Evidence by you probably can't even spout off any Spanish to this day, can you now? <laughs> no. <laughs> He's got nothing. He's got taco. Is that cow? Senor Gorlitz. Senior, I know he, he said that. Yes, I, I'm trying I, to I help like you that. here. I'm right, let's go back to business. Let's, 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 I can't believe you're insulting me already, really, but I just wanted to minutes. validate what you said with some facts. So you started this business five years ago, and you know, you, you made another comment that I think is really intriguing. Like, we don't think about this, but you're one of the big employers in Plattsburgh, yeah. and even even though your employees don't necessarily work in your office, right. you're actually a very big employer. Is that a fair yeah, assessment? Yeah, no, it, it, it's, you know, if you're employing anywhere between 150 to 200 people week in, week out at a whole host of different companies, sure. yeah, in the eyes of the government, those people are our employees right. until they become the employees, full-time employees of these other companies. But yeah, that's, uh, we're, we're, we're a meaningful employer in the North Country. You know, there's so take a couple country. minutes and just lay us out for what Coyer Staffing's all about, what you guys do, what you focus on, those things, and then we'll talk about recovery overall. It's yeah, kind of um, the land. So, you know, Coyer Staffing, we are a uh, staffing agency based in Plattsburgh that services the preponderance of employers in the North Country. Um, if you're in a larger metropolitan uh, marketplace, um, we might have the inclination to be what they call specialized, like there are accounting staffing agencies and there are engineering staffing agencies and there are healthcare staffing agencies. If you're based here, you kind of have to be you know, a staffing agency for all the businesses if you want to be of any size at all. So um, what you try to do is you try to attract individuals within your company who have some experience across that 
spectrum so that they understand warehousing and logistics and they understand assembly and manufacturing and 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 so and that's the majority of the employers if you if you can you might have somebody who has some professional background as well but it is you know this every week week in week out our goal is to meet as many individuals in the North Country who are either employed or unemployed. And if they're employed, we don't want to sort of talk them out of working where they are now, but we want to be a resource for them if they're ever sort of pondering, you know, where is my career going to go? I, I'm, I'm happy now, but I do know that there might be limitations at XYZ company. Mm -hmm. How am I really going to grow my career over the next 10, 15, 20 years? And so that's what we try to do. We try to be a resource for those individuals, representing candidates in a meaningful way. You know, since we've opened our doors, I've said, you know, we want to meet candidates where they are. Yep. And by doing so, you meet individuals who need to have a job tomorrow. And I just need money. And I, and I can't even get myself to work, so I need a taxi ride. And I don't have money for steel-toed boots, so we give them vouchers. You know, and we give them gas cards. I mean, there's, there's so much money that we spend in sort of these marketing uh, aspects, which is really just support aspects. Um, so that we can help sort of that lowest common denominator, if you will, the individual who's really struggling. Would and you all the way up through the spectrum. Would you say that's the norm in your business or is that just you guys doing it as kind of an extra thing? Because that's probably not one of the things that gets talked about often. You know, one of the, one of the reasons, and I think Betsy and I try to align ourselves with companies like yours and, and because you, you think like we do, like it's more of a, a family thing. Your job is not just to get somebody employed. Your job is to be able to make sure that they get the uh, they get to work on time and they know how to dress when they go to work and they have the right equipment and all that. That's more than just saying, here's your job, go to the Northeast Group or Schluter or Moldright right. and just work. Like there's more to it than that. Well, you know, Elizabeth and I believe that you know, our product is reliable employees, dependable employees, people who can show up every day and reliably complete the week's work. So what do you have to do to make that happen? Some, you know, in different marketplaces, you know, you might be able to screen individuals and screen out individuals, not represent people who may have some challenges in their background or they don't have the most you know, stable uh, work history. Right. You don't really have that ability here. So, you know, we just sort of flipped that coin over and said, what if there are ways that we can sort of better support individuals, especially early in their employment, when they mm -hmm. first come to us, so that they are viewed as this reliable, dependable individual right. when we first place them. And then we believe that uh, once you have established that, once you started earning some decent money, <clears throat> you're probably going to be able to get yourself on your feet at some point. And so we're willing to let the rope out as far as that goes. We're right. willing to, to purchase the boots, to pay for cab rides for weeks on end. Yeah. You know, we've done that for individuals because, you know, the only way that they're going to be able to sort of support themselves at some future point mm -hmm. is by going to work every day. And if we help them go to work every day, then you know, they win, we win. Our clients win because they're getting the work done that they need to execute. Um, and you know, it's it's kind of like when you're in our business, if you're if you're executing a certain amount of business, you might spend a hundred to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year in in a marketing capacity. You know, social media marketing, traditional mm -hmm. marketing, and you know, it's sort of like the light bulb went off in, in my head. Is like, what if we took ten thousand dollars of that marketing and turned those dollars into support dollars? Right. Yeah. It's marketing as well. Hey, David, so did part of this come as a result of, I feel like we had a, I'm trying to remember the, the, the reference, but we had a time here in, in the North Country where 
unemployment was so low that really there were so few employees left to choose from to be able to fulfill the jobs that right. were available. And so somebody had to broker the resources of exactly the, the people that you're talking about, I think that we're serving, yeah. people who have had employment challenges, who have had some, some hard roads that they've taken and they're in, a, they're in a, a, a dark place where they can't afford to pay the $5 to get a cab ride right. to work. And we, as a community, had to figure out how we were going to raise those people up. One, we needed the people to show up to work, but two, there were there were really no other people. Is that do you think that's part of it, or is part of it just the philosophy of what you're trying to do and accomplish? Well, I think certainly, you know, the supply and demand of labor makes you do different things depending upon what's happening. Mm -hmm. If labor is oversupplied. Um, then you have to sort of be better at screening because now companies are more uh, more selective as to the skills, the experience, yep. uh, and, the, and the reliability history. But when you're at the super low unemployment rates prior to the pandemic, you know, it's a different thing. It's like, find me people who will show up and do this entry-level work so hopefully we can train them and grow them into being longer-term, uh, higher-level employees down the road. Yep. Um, you know, and, you know, it really was why I started the AIM training program so many years ago um, in my, at my former employer. I started that program and we actually, the, the very first AIM training meeting was held in your MHAB building. Right. Back when it was still the college, when yeah, the college when was, had that yeah. as, yeah. We had the meeting yeah. over there. And the reason why I wanted to start that was that an AIM was a, was a, it was a pre-employment training program that helped individuals who were either unemployed or underemployed, as I used to say, help them better compete for the entry-level positions at the better employers in the North Country. For a number of years, that program was heavily used by the halfway house. One of the halfway houses that's run by BHSN sent a ton of their people sure. through the AIM program while they were in the halfway house, so that when they left, they would have the you know ability to go you know, find employment, learn the things they need to. So yeah, valuable, incredibly I, valuable program. I feel like we hired yeah. a bunch of people. I don't know if it was through AIM. Was the AIM the one that had a graduation? Yeah. And we yeah. bring employers to the graduate, like a, yeah. Uh, yeah, we were, graduation. We were doing a bunch of work with that, that, that group of people that you guys were working with. Yeah, we, you know, we, it, it was a lot of fun. It was, it, and it still is a great training program. Yeah. But I bring that up because that was, you know, how do we, how do I, David Coyer, sort of better sell this group of individuals to these companies? Because right. the companies are saying, listen, these people don't have the skills and experience. I'm like, well, what if they went through eight weeks of training and they had, they learned how to use a tape measure and to do yep. you know, industrial math and, and they learned Just some the life skills. Just the basic stuff yep. that they would need to yeah. be able to get started. Like, right. we're not trying to... You yeah. know, train them to be no world class. Train them specifically once they're hired. Right. I just want them to be qualified. Give them that baseline. And you did some soft skills training in that right. too. I mean, it was not just you know, it was not some of some of the entry level hard stuff. You were you were always it, right. It was the mix. Developing, yeah. helping uh, individuals make better decisions uh, when they're at work. So I want to go back and talk a little bit about the community because you you know you made the point about putting money aside in your company and. You know, John Bernardi has always reminded me, and he's one of the big proponents of this community, we are fortunate to live in a place where people like you and I think us and the United Way and many other employers really do go above and beyond to try, like we get what our job is and we get what we're trying to do and we have to make money and survive, but we really do go above and beyond 
to try to make this a great place to live and to involve everybody. And I think sometimes that goes unnoticed. Like nobody, you know, you're not gonna run out and you know, shout from the rooftops that you and Elizabeth pay for cab rides for people to go to work. It's not what your style is. We don't, right. you know, tout what we do. But those things do get done regularly at a cost to you and a cost to us. And it's noble. And it, it's 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 one of the reasons why I love being a part of this business community. Like we really do have a unique thing here that I don't think every other community in America has. No, I, I, I think that there are probably innovative people throughout the landscape and people yeah. are doing different things in interesting ways. Um, but necessity really is the mother of invention, yeah. right? Yeah. And so like in, in, if you have, like I'm entrepreneurial in my thought yeah. process and you know, it's, it's hard to be in business and try to communicate to companies why you're different, how you're different. Right. And so part of that was, you know, starting a training program, you know, um, that's why we started RAMP. RAMP is really in a, a, a spin on staffing. Right. And it is, hey, we have a bunch of individuals who are going to graduate in the North Country and they, because they have been for years, since the beginning of time, and a percentage of them don't know what they want to do. A percentage of them don't have a plan. So what if we can identify them and tell them, listen, we'll give you four work experiences in your first mm -hmm. year after you graduate, and we'll also do some training with you. And after that year, you know, Prior to RAMP, what happens is these same individuals have four work experiences in their first year after they graduate, but it's something that they have to explain away in the fifth interview. Yeah. You know, with RAMP, they have four work experiences, and now it's something that they can tout and brag about right. because it was, it was structured, it was intentional, and it gave them a, a, a broad experience base that they can now take and either go to community college, yeah. go to a tech school, or just take into their fifth. You're employer. talking about graduation from high school. Yeah. You know, it's one. You and I talked about this, and when you first floated this idea out to me, I was so excited. You know, you and I know that I'm. I, I, I hate to call myself the anti-education guy, but I, you know, on, it's not that I'm against You're an education champion of a different, right. a, a, a non-traditional education champion. I think that for far too many years a while ago, we spent too much time trying to push people, you have to go to college, you have to do this, right. you have to do this. And I think now we're coming around, people like you, me, other people think like this, that college is great for a lot of people, but it's not the end all and be all for everybody. Right. And there are some kids who come out of high school who just don't wanna go and get a college degree. They wanna go to work, but they wanna make a good living, they wanna have education, they just don't wanna do it in that formal context. Right. And I think what you're doing is giving people that opportunity to see what's out there. I'm venturing guess that some of these kids are going to go, they're going to work in these four companies and go, to hell with that, I'm going to college, you know, I want to get a degree, and others are going to be like, this was perfect for yeah. me, this is what I want to do. Yeah, it, well, exactly, which is exactly what should happen, right. because individuals are going to say, work is harder than not working, and if there's a way to go to college, I mean, heck, if you're at college and you have, and you're, and you're living in a dorm, and there's the, the dining hall you can go to for three, meal, three plus meals right. a day. Somebody else and cleans you can, the bathroom. Yeah, and your your first class is at ten, and your last class is at three. You can if you can play that out for four years, that's a pretty fun time, you know. <laughs> and, <laughs> <laughs> but and so getting up every day at just, eight o'clock. Can we just comment that college is a little bit more than a little ten to three schedule? There's a little. I mean, if you want I did kids it. to be I successful. Know. Dave Coyer says college is just one big party. You don't have to do much. No, you know, college, you know. college is one big party, but you don't have to ever take an eight a.m. class if you don't want to. 
okay? Right. I've been there and uh, I avoided it if I could, you know? And so, but my point is, I think college, um, at least as, is easier than just getting up and working every day because when you get up and work every day, you sort of like, oftentimes people feel like they're, they are resigned to something. They're, they're signing up for something and they're, they're determining what their future state is going to be. And that includes, you know, that sets off all kinds of sort of additional agita in people, you know. Is this what I really want to be? Is right. this what I'm going to become? Is this who I am, right? So you have identity around that. But college is still that, that, that four to plus years of time where you're sort of like, you're, you haven't committed to anything. You can change your major. You can sort of redefine and reinvent yourself, which is such a, it is a beautiful time. So in, in RAMP, we hope that people will have that work experience, but also just, if nothing else, they are chronologically one year older. Right. And they have experiences, and they probably have some some connections. They have, yep. you know, bosses at these different companies who they form relationships with. They have relationships with coworkers. They have a network mm -hmm. beyond just school. And there's support around taking those steps toward those jobs that are more than just whatever potential work they may have done in high school. It's an opportunity. You have a, you have an introduction to that, and you have people supporting you while you're going through the process of learning. Yeah, and I, and you know, Rachel said this morning. Rachel Danis, is, she's our ramp coordinator, and she said, you know. Ramp is really the Disney Fast Pass of employment. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Disney yeah, I gotta remember fast that. That's, I like other, that. Other than Disney coming after us for the, uh, <laughs> the copywriting. But it's true because if you're going to just graduate high school and go out on your own, then you got to get up and dust yourself off and sort of be self-directed. You know, if you're signing up for Ramp, it's basically here's where you're going to show up for your first job. Here's who you're going to meet. We're giving you almost that 13th year of high school. It's yeah. like kind of yeah. as a, but, but it's a work, work experience yep. and you're going to make get, money and, and you're going to, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you're going to be paid. paid. Yep. And nowadays, with the wages the way they are, most of the jobs are 13, 50, 14, 14, 50 an hour to start. So it's not the worst money that they've made. Um, yeah, so, but you know, there, a lot of sort of the, the, the friction, which is kind of what staffing agencies do as well, is sort of remove some of that friction of employment. Yep. Now we, we, we have, uh, we already have employers who are willing to take you on. We have ramp counselors who are going to support you throughout the year. And some of that is, you know, you sleep in late, you didn't show up, the yeah. HR manager called ramp, and, and now we're on the phone with you saying, hey, get up, get dressed, let's get you to work, I'm coming by, or I just called the cab, they're going to take, you know, a lot of that stuff, which doesn't exist at all if you're just on your own. You know, you're... So, so you know, it's funny. We, we, uh, you know, part of what we did at MHAB when we started MHAB was we wanted it to be a life skills campus for people. And, and it's almost, I, this is going to sound derogatory, and I don't mean it that way, but a lot of the people who come to the MHAB life skills campus to live are almost just getting out of high school in mm -hmm. terms of their life has been so messed up by drugs right. and alcohol and mental health. They haven't worked for a lot of years. They don't have the formal education. You know, a lot of them are in that place. So they're they're almost in that predicament of I don't know how to go out. I don't know how to go out and get a job. I don't know how to write a resume. I don't even know how to apply. I don't know how I'm supposed to do any of that. So. Um, you know, one of the things we like about you guys is, you know, you have Jared, your guy comes over once a week and he sits at our MHAB campus and he talks to people and he'll help them write resumes and do all of those things. So can I guess I see similarities between the RAMP program and what we're doing at MHAB. Not yeah. perfect similarities, but certainly some similarities in that in trying to get our people some life experience You're as supporting well. people 
through a tough time in their life, kind of getting them integrated into society, mm. right? Um, absolutely. I mean, that's sort of what we do as a staffing agency. And, and you know, um, Jared Murphy, who works with us and is our lead recruiter on the team of Temp and Temp to Hire Recruiters, you know, he has a personal connection with MHAP. Yep. You know, he's had some challenges earlier in his yep. life. Um, and so I think he identifies with that cohort pretty well. Yep. And he, he doesn't look down his nose at them. Right. He understands what they're going through, which is super important. And I think they understand that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but we want to we want to meet those individuals where they are. If yeah. they're ready to work, we want to put them to work. Kind of going back to what you were saying at the very beginning of this podcast was that you know when 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 you were telling me early on, hey, send me the people who are you know you're <laughs> you're the worst tired, of the worst. You're tired, you're bored. The Statue of Liberty. So we like the new Ellis Island. That's us. Yes. <laughs> but you know what? Like somebody could have looked at that through a, a negative lens. I know that for me, what that said is that this is here is one of the few back in back then. Yeah. Here is one of the few empathetic employers in our region, who and, and it was hard to find. But it was really sort of like the calm in the storm. It was like that that uh, that island that you, if you found somebody who just you knew wasn't going to be taken seriously by a whole mess of other employers, if you gave that person a chance, if you called Mike and Betsy over at the Northeast Group and said, hey, I've got this guy, here's his challenges, I have this gal, here's her challenges, what do you say, can we give him an opportunity? You know, it was such a relief. I think mainly because for me personally, that's a big deal. Like, I'm meeting somebody and I just feel like, you know, I, like, I think Bill and Melinda Gates have made this popular, but sort of every human life has equal value. Yeah. And if you look at the world that way, okay, here's this individual and they've had these challenges, but here they are. And how am I going to look this person in the eye and say, like, no, there's no opportunity. Right. If there's no opportunity for people, we have a broken system. Right. There has to be a way for individuals who have screwed up, who have messed up, to find some way to sort of reestablish themselves and provide stability in their mm-hmm. lives so that they can have a meaningful life. They're it's, not going to necessarily be the CEO. They might be the CEO of a company. Who knows what the future But, right, you know, well, you just he, don't he, know. You know, it is funny, and she, she points at me, and obviously there's a lot of reasons why I made it to the place that I'm, that I'm at. And there are a lot of people over the years that helped me. But it's truthful. You know, I told this story when I spoke at the United Way. You know, I went to the JCEO food pantry. I was, didn't have a place that I could call my own. I, I wasn't very good at going to work every day and being reliable. And, you know, here I am 30 years later, you know, the CEO of a company and started another company and, and doing these things. So it is, it is possible, but you are 100% right. If we're not going to take this class of people and say, we're just going to put you on an island and that's where you live until you die, and we're going to have them be part of society, then we, the people that have kind of made it or, or have some ability, we've got to go out of our way to say, what can we do to help you get to this spot? And you know, one of the things we've learned uh, is that 
once somebody gets an opportunity and then they realize that they can do it and they get another opportunity and they grow into a supervisory position or whatever, you see, you can, and it's almost like you can watch it. You see this light bulb go on inside them and all of a sudden the confidence begins to flourish and they start to dress a little better when they come to work and they start to be there 10 minutes early and they stay a little late and they volunteer to work extra time and they, like you, you like they feel part of. They're right. like, wow, somebody gave me an opportunity and now I feel part of and that's what I think is is what a lot of what you're talking about and a lot of what we're talking about and do you see a change you know you mentioned us and I do believe that we were one of the early people in this community to be willing to take chances um, you deal with a lot of companies more than we do do you see that changing here locally with yeah, regards I mean, to the way people hire I think it's two things I think again you know um, the marketplace demands it yeah. because right now the companies are producing products that are in far greater demand than they can meet. So now that everybody's just desperate, they right. just just find me people. I don't care how you do it, just find me. So I think that, you know, again, uh, necessity does is the mother of invention here. These people are bound to be more uh, flexible and open than they might have been in years past. But I do think you standing up. It was at the United Way, with you know. Yep. Yes, um, it was. You standing up and you sort of like being bold enough to talk openly about your challenges. I think for a lot of people that was sort of a watershed moment in our community because I think it was like, geez, you know, how, I really am looking down my nose at these people. Like I haven't really been as open and as cooperative as I should be. And why? I think a lot of people had to look in the mirror and sort of say, why am I being so restrictive? Why am I being so selective? You know. What is the risk, really? You know, and this morning when I was thinking about coming over here and, and having a conversation around this topic, that you know, I, I I certainly know a lot about employment, but I don't know uh, as much about recovery as I possibly should. You know, I was just like, is there some of the fault in the system is somebody was a criminal. <laughs> at some point earlier in their yeah. lives. And it's hard to define the range of criminal activity yep. and the real employment risk. Yep. And I think that, you know, there are certain hardened criminals, people who have made decisions and done horrific things that just aren't going to be able to be folded into society. And it's really unfortunate, but it's just people have made those decisions. Yep. But I believe that either severity of what they've done in the past or what their actions have been since that took place between now and then, I wish there was a way that we could sort of better identify the individuals and sort of awarded them for their good behavior, not necessarily good behavior as opposed to sort of what they did 20 years ago, but what have they done since then? It would be wonderful in today's day and age, and we have all the technology in the world, it would be easy to have sort of like, instead of just a criminal database, it should be a criminal database that gives people a yellow, red, and green light sort of over time, this person poses zero risk to anybody and uh, no matter what kind of employment companies should feel like this is a if the person is qualified and, and mm -hmm. able you know you got to just let them work you know it's uh, interesting to me about that particular point and 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 I think in my opinion I think that it's it's opportunity a little bit of opportunity and a little bit of luck right somebody that has has endured a struggle they they just get an opportunity they happen to meet the right, the right employer or the right people at work that really kind of embrace and don't judge 
from what they've done and they make a connection. I mean, we, well, we covet connection in, 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 at MHAV and, and mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's an important component, I think, to what's next for everybody is when you make a connection. Well, if you take me and you just, and we just, and I, and I take three minutes and kind of tell you my story for how I, I got here from an employment standpoint. I came back from Rochester. I was four years without a drink, so this is the early 90s. I didn't have a job. And I knew a guy in recovery here in Plattsburgh who was one of those criminals, one of the guys that nobody wanted to have anything to do, and I won't tell you who it is or what his offenses were, but they, society was done with him. And he was working at a warehouse in Champlain with another guy who was new in recovery and struggling to get sober. And so they asked me if I wanted to come to work with them. And the three of us together took this warehouse and, and built it into something that was pretty big. It's where I learned the whole warehouse business and all that stuff. And subsequently, the, com the larger company went under, and I came to my father and said, you know, I have all these contacts in the warehouse business. I don't know how to start a business. I don't have any money. My father, at this point, had seen me be sober for 10 or 11 years and was comfortable with trying it, hired me to come on and work with him. And, you know, obviously, I became a part owner of the company, and now I'm the president and CEO, and he's retired. And but that's how the story went. It was this, there were these people who society had kind of cast right. off who wound up working in a warehouse who brought me and taught me. And so your point about, you know, everybody has value and it is exactly that. And what I learned from the gentleman who I worked with up there, he's, he's the one who started this whole idea of hiring people in recovery. You know, we ran this big warehouse. It's actually a beer warehouse at the time, which is kind of funny, <laughs> but it was a, we it's ran this ironic. big beer Very warehouse <laughs> and we hired people that were in recovery and many of them very early on they'd come to work for a few days then they'd right. leave and you know the all the same stuff that we deal with and when I came here it was one of the things I said I wanted to do I want to be able to be that employer that does that and you know we're we're different than a company like a Bombardier or a Nova bus or, or you know Norsk that has highly technical work that they need we do have the ability to bring entry-level people in people with checkered history some of its unskilled labor some of its skilled but some sure. of its unskilled so we have the ability to do that so you know we were incredibly happy to be able to do that but that's kind of how the story went exactly like you said it wasn't I didn't go get you know educated and become a businessman and all that it was this happenstance that I just learned how to do this and and you know then had some breaks along the way but I, I like that you, well, I don't know that I like it. I, I, you talked about having this kind of an evaluation system for people who are on the road to recovery that all of a sudden they're no longer a risk of bad things happening. And I might say that people in recovery will say, you know, I don't know if there's ever... The risk is always there. Yeah, the risk is kind of always there lingering in the background. It's really more what societal limitations are that we place on people in recovery. And, and, and my, my most pertinent story is I know a young man who had a really, uh, really tragic, challenging past, yeah. uh, you know, felony arrests. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I, I found out that he was recently, uh, he was recently employed by, uh, by a bank in a banking position. And I think to myself, how great is that, that our community has come so far that they have looked beyond and past somebody's history and he's done enough of the own, his own work, a dedication to hard work and, sure. and his own resilience to, uh, to kind of push through and, and has created a great opportunity for himself. And I just wanted to comment that I love it that David brought up the fact that you were a watershed moment in this community. I always say this, that that did. day at the United Way was a mm -hmm. defining moment in changing our community, and I appreciate you for validating that. That was a big deal for changing the way that our, our professional community 
thought about recovery. It was a, it was a big thing. Thank well, you. For me, it was like, I was like I've, I've known this guy forever, and I've known his story forever. <laughs> and it was like, I can't believe everybody doesn't already know this story, you know? But when you see it told, and, and yeah. it takes, even if you feel like everybody knows it, it does take a measure of, of strength and, you know, just humility to stand up and say, I'm going to tell my story. Like, well, you know, it's it's one of those things where I I think you're right. There's this there's this fine line that people like me fight between being proud and being humble. You know, and and I can have such a big ego, and I can be so proud, and I can be like, look at what I do, and I have to try to remember that I'm I'm not I don't do these things to be up here. I do these things from more of a humble pulpit. You know, down here, which is I'm really trying to help other people. Like the accolades are cool, and it, it's nice and all that. It's nice to be recognized, or people say that you're a contributor. But I really do it because I remember when I first came in right. and those two guys that took a chance on me in Champlain and like I remember even saying to myself if I ever get to a point I have to never forget that right. like that's what my purpose in life is is that like uh, that's what I'm supposed to be doing because people did it for me you know that's what I that's what I think is is uh, so cool about this and I'm happy that we've made that change in this community where more employers are are doing things that are uh, you know embracing of this but I did want to make a comment you brought it up the other piece about recovery is that, remember, I had to pay my debt to society for the things that I did. Right. Like being an addict and, and didn't absolve me of the criminal activities that I did. Yeah. I had to, and we should always remember that, that listen, you were a criminal. You did live that lifestyle. You have to own up to that. You don't just get absolved. You don't get to come in and go, oh, I'm clean now, so nobody should hold that against me. That's not the real world we live in. The real world says you were a criminal. Okay, you were a criminal 10 years ago. Now you've demonstrated over 10 years that you've been an honorable member of society. We should give you a chance. So we have to always balance those things. Like it's, it, would be, it would be unfair if the pendulum swung the other way where people said, well, I was a criminal because I was an addict, so you have to forget all that. No, it's not like that. It's a, you know, there has to be this kind of work together between the employer and the employee is I guess I guess what I'm getting at. No, you're you're absolutely right. Um, I'm in my mind I'm I'm listening to you, but I'm thinking of a couple of examples even just recently. Um, there are so many obstacles and it's so easy to cast somebody aside yes. because of yeah, either their criminal sins or their mm -hmm. uh, you know their uh, drug and alcohol uh, challenges. But we had somebody who was like eight seconds away from being railroaded out of one of our local employers because of uh, something that somebody found online that happened back in like 2004, 2003. Jeez. It's a long time ago. Right. But like a coworker didn't like this guy, was going to sort of like yeah. really run this. And it would have been so easy because you know, the employer calls me up and is sort of like, hey, listen, um, we don't know if we can have this person working here anymore, blah, blah, blah. and. Uh, you know, I find myself in those moments. It's so it would be so easy to be like, okay, fine. Um, who do we have? Yeah, right. I'll, I'll have we'll take him. We'll send over yeah. somebody yeah. different. I'll have Tim show tomorrow. Yeah. But I, I said, listen, let's let's just slow down. Let us do some research. Let's find out if the risk is real. Let's ha let us have a conversation with the individual. Let's do some of our, you know. You can do, you can run criminal background checks, and you know, with the individual's permission. And so we went through all of this, and in the end, we discovered that what was online wasn't all that accurate. It was way out of date. The risk wasn't there. Yeah. Um, 
just by having a conversation, the employer agreed to let this person stay, and it kind of sort of, you know, castigated the coworker for sort of creating this whole situation to begin with. It's like, why are you trying to like shame this person? Like, you know, it's like you, so I was so happy that that was the result, but it takes real effort. You did, I was just gonna say, but what you're doing there is you're demonstrating that, that choice on your part and your company's part to go the extra mile rather than just taking the easy road, which right. would have been to just pull him out of there, put somebody yeah. else in there, you continue to get paid, put him at some other company where it's they don't good. Know yet. It, it, that, that's they don't exactly know yet. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's the key. Right. So can you talk to us a little bit about the, the employment landscape for employers? I mean, it feels like through the work that you've done, Mike's done, this community has done and kind of reconciling itself with, uh, with people that are, are in recovery or in challenging places that we're trying to create opportunity. But can you speak to one, a little bit more about the landscape here locally and whether it's, it's exclusive to us or if really this has some legs that, that, you know, that branches out beyond, uh, beyond just our community? Well, I don't believe that our, I would say that all of the efforts that we're doing Ramp, MHAB, these types of activities and these types of efforts are absolutely, you know, analogous in, in, in would be applicable to any community that would be similar to ours. You know, we aren't that unique. You know, if anything, you know, we could probably saddle up together and go from town to town and solve a whole lot of ills and create a whole lot of solutions um, without a doubt, right? Um, but I do think that you know what's what's important to do. It's important to do the work where you 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 prove the model. You know what you know. I feel like this marketplace, our community, is sort of like this this not only now, but it's proving the model of ramp, proving the model of MHAB. Let's demonstrate. You know, like we can do all kinds of good things, and people can pat us on the back for doing it. But what, what, are, what's the data behind it? How many people are we really impacting? Um, how many employers are we able to go out to and sort of turn them around and kind of get them to be more open? And as long as we are able to do that, then I think that you know it's almost incumbent upon us to take this on the road into other communities. You know, we have growth plans to be in Western New York and across the pond and down <laughs> south, like in. in imminently, and a lot of it is being led with our ramp initiative. Sure. I think MHAB could do the exact same thing. Um, something you were saying earlier. But you're quite a bit younger than me. I don't have the energy to go and do MHAB in other places like yeah, you. But I think, <laughs> but here, here's the thing. I think that you could hire somebody who would work closely with you, who would have that energy, and could be that spirit to make that we happen. Need, we're we need all like Betsy. MHAB, we're, we, we need an MHAB. Oh, Mike clone. We need a clone. Oh. Hey, uh, can I switch gears and ask you a couple? So Billy Jones put together a, a, this uh, bill last year that got passed, the $2,000 tax credit for people that are in recovery and for employers. For employers. Do you yeah. guys use that yes. when you employ people? So you're able to use that as you employ people in a different organization. Is that right? Yeah, we, we hired a, there's a there, are, there are agencies, if you will, that all they do is track tax credits. And they just run through the, the payroll data. The, the onboarding process yeah. includes a step that they actually execute on your behalf, and they run down whether or not there's a, an available tax credit on that individual. Wow. 
Great for you guys that Great. have a lot of employee, yeah. employees. Yeah, yeah. sure. And we have a lot of employees. Yeah. Um, we just started that uh, halfway through last year. There's there's a there's a multitude. You know, whether somebody was in military, whether somebody was unemployed for a period of time, the age of the individual, the socioeconomic status, it, all kinds of different tax credits that exist. Yeah. So that would be yes, another tax credit that any employer would be smart to take advantage of. It's a it's a mountain of paperwork to mm -hmm. do in-house yeah. on your own. Yeah. You would essence, you would hire somebody to mm -hmm. almost do that full-time. Or if you employ one of these uh, specialists, they just they take 15 to 20% off the top. Right. In fact, they, in fact, you pay them 15 to 20% of the tax credits that are certified, and then those tax credits come to you, yep. and they sort of sit on your books. Yep. So it's, not, it's actually a cash flow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it yep. hits your cash flow, the bottom line. Yep. You're paying them, but we all know that they're all, know, they're on an annual basis, it's beneficial. They're almost like the freight auditors, where they're saying, look, yep. you don't have to necessarily pay us unless we, re, re, unless you know, we, we unless we get you money yep. back, and then we take 20, 30, 50%, yeah. whatever it is, same, yep. same kind of thing. The other is, what's the employment, do you want to ask another well, question just, about so, that? So do you, because you, you job that out, or you, you do yeah. you have <laughs> any idea how many employees you may have, have had access or have used that tax credit, that you've used the tax credit for? Do you have any idea? If my wife was here, she would know that answer. <laughs> Where's Elizabeth when we really <laughs> need her? It's a decent percentage. I can imagine with yeah. the amount of, of, of Especially temporary employment, yeah. you know, the, the the number of employees that you put through your business, there's got to be, uh, there's got to be a, a good number of them that probably are eligible for the specific tax credit. Yeah. I think that you were asking about the one that Billy Jones put through the uh, the New York State budget. Yeah. Well, we just want to know that it's being used, yeah. and, and you know, yeah. we've used it yeah. here a few times, and I, you know, I think right. it's important, and I think certainly it benefits. Year, yeah. This past year, I think we had uh, we submitted for um, eight. I think we have eight that. We had the mount, have the mountain of paperwork mm -hmm. yep. for. So I mean, I think that's for a small business like ours. I think that's, that's pretty, pretty good. good. Can you imagine with the, with the, the volume that mm -hmm. David and Elizabeth have? That's yeah, I think it, it's it can be it can be beneficial. You know, it's one of the things that, you know, we view it as not just this like you know this cash grab that we go out and buy you know the SS your staffing and, and park it down <laughs> to the naked turtle. Instead, it, it gives us additional dollars so that we can sort of better support individuals. It's sort of like this. The it, it, SS Coyer yeah. staffing. Yeah. Are, you, are you saying like a boat? Like yeah. you, Listen, as evidenced by the fact that your son is now driving and Elizabeth had to drop you off here so you're not driving your own car <laughs> tells me that you're probably not raping your company of money that you're bringing in. I think no. it's a pretty safe assessment that you're returning some of that. Yeah, to we, and, and we want to do more. You know, um, you know, cab rides and, and, and the like. What I wanted to say a minute ago was that, you know, after the watershed moment, it is, it is really wonderful how many empathetic employers we have now here yeah, in the North Country. I agree. And so we have more companies who are open to that. But part of it is, you know, if I were to pat myself on the back, when I'm training recruiters on how to execute this business day in, day out, you know, it's very easy as a recruiter to meet somebody who has a, a sketchy background or who has some challenges in their past and to sweep them under the rug and tout this person as the second coming, yeah. right? This person mm -hmm. is, this, this person's wonderful. I think this person's gonna be great. I love their attitude. I love this, I love that. I say, listen, it, that doesn't work because that person's gonna be placed by you. They're probably gonna disappoint themselves and you and the employer at some point down the road, it's better just to talk to people directly and plainly about what you're, who you're representing. 
I met this guy. Here's, here's what I like about him. Yeah. Here's what's challenging. And if you want to give him a shot, I think that would be wonderful. But I want us both to be on the same yeah. page that just being aware of, of what might come up and, and, and what his or her past work history might be, just yeah. talking openly and plainly. And I think the more you do that and the more we do that, we have client, you know, the HR folks and the, and the hiring yeah. managers at these, all, all these companies, they know that we're not trying to sort of put lipstick on the proverbial pig, right? right? We're just talking to them plainly about the individuals. And I think that when they employ that individual, now that they know that they're, yeah. what the real story is, I think they're more supportive. Sure. You know, when I work with people in recovery and they talk about going to get a job, I, I mean, first off, I always try to say, go talk to these guys. In right. fact, you and I have had multiple conversations where I'll just pick the phone up and say, hey, Dave, I have this person. I'd like you to talk to him. Or you do it with me. You'll call me right. and say, hey, we got a guy, probably not going to get a chance somewhere else, but would you be willing? And, and here's what it is. But I always tell people that, you know, lead with honesty. Just lead with honesty. It doesn't mean you need to go and, and tell somebody your whole life story, but don't shy away from who you are. Just let people know. It's almost, I liken it to, you know, when you first start dating somebody and you, and if you start getting serious with them and it's like, no, think about it though. If you start getting serious with them, but you're always well-dressed and putting on all these airs, like why? You might as well just be who you are because at some point Show you can't, that's right, you can't be like, at some point the real you is going to come out. Right. Like, look, I now know the real you and I still kind of like you sometimes. <laughs> so like, you know, it's right. kind of, you know, it's kind of worked, I guess. Yeah, I mean, um, jerk. So I think that it's, I, I do agree with you that it's, I think it's important to be honest. Like, don't just don't be dishonest. It doesn't mean you have to go and volunteer everything that ever happened mm -hmm. in your life or that you did. But they are going to find out who you are at some point. So you might as well just lead with that. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think it's important to say that we don't share anything that we, that is private to that individual. Right. There's no, there, right. we aren't sort of disclosing information that wouldn't be appropriate. We right. just are talking about, hey, this, this the work history, right. and, and it, depending upon the situation. You know, you there's, know, a, just, there's an interesting moment as an employer when you've created an environment where people feel comfortable to be honest where somebody can show up to the HR office or show up to their manager's office and shut the door and just say, listen, I'm just not okay today. And it's one of our sweatshirts, right? It's okay to not be okay. Yeah. Right. And there's no crime in that. It's a heck of a lot easier as an employer to look at somebody and say, you're having a bad day. And, and to be part of that support team that says, you know, a bad day doesn't make a bad life. Right. What can we do to help you get through this moment? And, uh, and I think it's, it's powerful. We can't all be perfect like you. Like, we all have bad days except you. Like, it's, you know. Well, it's not, you know, you're not. Perfect Betsy. You know, it's, you just got to be human. Yes. You know, you have to, yeah. you have to deal with people. We're in the people business. What I, you know. That's a great line, by the way. Yes, you're in the people business. That's right. what you're in. Uh, you're you're uh, in the people business. Without a doubt. Yeah. And I love being in this business because I like being that hub. Like, I know who the empathetic employers are today. Yep. And I know who we can go to. And, but the truth of the matter is that it's like, it's evolving over time. Just like the companies that are hiring today evolves over time. But I, you know, if there's anything that I could do as we're sort of, when we're marketing, when we're getting the word out, is I just want everybody to know, no matter what your challenges have been, we want to meet literally every living human right. being in our region, wherever we happen to have an office, because we feel like if you come to us, 
we're going to be an honest advocate on your behalf um, to whatever employers and whatever opportunities make sense for you, the individual. You know, when we're week in, week out, you know, you, you can work for companies in our space who all they want to talk about is how many placements did you make this week right. and, and did you hit your metrics and it's all about that type of energy. And the problem with that is, is like it's, it, you know, what you incentivize can be dangerous because yeah. all you care about is how many placements you make. You don't really care about the quality of placement and whether or not you've actually dealt with each individual as an individual. And actually I tell my team, listen, we want to make more placements tomorrow than we yeah. made yesterday. But the truth is this, if you can look at yourself in the mirror and say that each individual that you've met, you talk to them individually, you've you placed, you did your best to place them in opportunities that yeah. make sense for them, that are going to work for the company, that's all we can ask. One of the great John Wooden lines of all time is is that, you know, John Wooden, the great basketball coach from UCLA, sure. that won, I don't know, 12 or 14 national championships, he said he never talked to his players about results. He only talked to them about effort. Like, he never worried about winning. That was not what he worried about. He worried about if we do all the things we're supposed to do, the winning will take care of itself. It's kind of like what you're saying and like what we're saying. You know, if, if we don't obsess about the bottom line and not worry about that. We just make sure that everything we're doing for our employees and our clients is the best we can. The bottom line will take care of itself. Of course. We'll all be, we'll all be fine. We don't have to focus. I don't have to focus on the number of placements. I have to focus on making sure I help the people that walk through the door. Right. And I get them into good employment situations for them. And if that happens, the bottom line and the placements will take care of themselves. Because they'll tell I don't people need to That's that we exactly take good right. care of them. Yeah. And the client companies will know. And as long as we're meeting more people tomorrow than we are today, then we're going to be in good shape. Hey, one of the other things that's going on in this in, in this state now with the legalization of recreational marijuana, right. what's out there in the employment world with regards to that? And I'll, before you answer that, I'll tell you that kind of the context for me is that because the feds haven't legalized this and right. OSHA that's, that's is a, a federal agency, but the states are, there's this kind of... Uh, conflicting information out there. Nobody's, I'm not asking you to give us the exact thing because nobody's really been able to, but the laws now become so convoluted. OSHA can say you can't have a, a forklift operator that you know is using marijuana, but I have a forklift operator who has a medical marijuana card, which means he's legally prescribed it. You know, what happens when there's an accident? Is OSHA holding me accountable? Like what's the, the feel, and that's just one specific example, what's the feel in the community right now with regards to that? You know, it's a, from employer to employer. You know, we have certainly, you know, if you're doing dangerous work where you can injure yourself, it's not appropriate for you to be impaired in any way, shape, or form. You Whether know, it's prescribed or prescribed, not, doesn't matter. Yeah. Not prescribed, right. alcohol, whatever. You, you can't come to work drunk. You can't go to work high, you know. Right. But what we're seeing is that we have some of the larger uh, manufacturers are just stopping screening for marijuana. And just not even bothering right. with it, saying I'm not going to bother. They don't want to know. They're, so awaiting until accident or yeah, I think it's probably or, uh, probably reasonable suspicion in post accident. Yep. Yep. Which was really, I mean, that's the yeah. pulpit that we started at. Yeah. We we were mm -hmm. one of the few, I think, employers in our that were not doing uh, drug screening upon employment, but upon reasonable yeah. suspicion or post-accident. Yeah, they're, they're drug screening, but they just don't select for marijuana. They don't want to run a marijuana what, result. What's going to happen mm -hmm. at some point, though, Curious. is you're going to have you're going to have an accident in some facility somewhere where somebody that has a medical marijuana card or whatever legally right. does something to cause harm or death to somebody, and then it's going to wind up probably in the Supreme Court somewhere. Supreme Court. Because right. at some point they have to come to terms with the fact that we're legalizing marijuana, we're letting people do it much like alcohol. It's hard 
harder to detect than alcohol is because you don't necessarily, I mean, there's there's going to become these issues that happen. And it is an interesting take that a lot of employers have just said, you know what, we're not even going to screen for it anymore. It's uh, Yeah, and... We don't have a measurement stick for but it. But if either. you think about the Supreme Court deal, the, the problem is, is uh, I guess somebody said that there is uh, a test kit that they use in Europe where you can sort of immediately know if somebody's impaired by marijuana. But we don't have that here. But we don't have the metrics to, de we don't have a, a, a state or a federal right. determinant. What's impairment for yeah. marijuana? What's the, what's the, right. the, the, right. the, what's it's the amount? Right. We don't right. have a measure. Right. You're a yeah. big person, you're a little right. person, how much, you know, I, I don't even know. And all the, the problem science, is right? if you have the medical marijuana card, it's no different than, you, you know, where do, where does, that's right, where does the impairment line come? Right. It's the same thing as if you have a, you know, an insulin, if you're getting insulin, where does, right. wh where is your blood sugar when it's too low become an impairment where somebody can hold you accountable that you shouldn't be working in a dangerous occupation. Like it's it's just a big issue that I don't like the fact that the states have said we're going to play in our own arena but the feds aren't on board with what's going on with that because the laws aren't consistent. That seems to be the uh, hardest. Listen, you part. don't have to be in business very long to recognize that what 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 will really set the bar is your your risk partner. Your workers comp insurer yep. is going to dictate to you what you can and can't do. You know, just monetarily. Mm -hmm. They're going to make it more expensive if you don't want to screen for marijuana. I mean, I have to imagine that would be, what are your, what are your policies, what are your procedures, right. what are you willing to do, what kind of work do you do? The risk is too high to not screen for this. So if you don't want to screen for this, well, we're going to sort of make it more expensive for you to conduct right. business, and then somebody in the risk office at that company is going to be like, this doesn't make any sense. Right. Let's screen for this and this and this. Um, it, it is challenging, but you know, at the same time right now, people can come to work impaired by it with alcohol, all day long, and nobody really knows. It's easy. I mean, I'm not saying you can walk in like just three sheets of the wind, but you can be impaired. Yeah. Um, I worked drunk and, for eight. I drove a truck yeah. drunk for eight years. <laughs> for God's sakes, I was, you know, I was pretty good at it. I drove better drunk. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> the, the associated risk is is what it is, right? From person to person. Boy. Did I just say well, that I drove a truck drunk for eight years? Yeah, is that's bad. Out loud. Uh, you can just strike uh, that from the record. Yep. So, yeah, that would that would make Beep. it that would make it edited. Hey, uh, so if somebody comes, somebody like me comes into your office, uh -huh. and I'm you know go back thirty years when I first came in, and I have all of these blank spots in my you know resume. Work for six months, work for three months, have all of these different jobs, a different variety of stuff, a couple of arrests, all those things, and so I come to you and go, I just got out of rehab. I'm sixty days clean. You know. What, what am I supposed to do? How can you help me? Tell me what I'm supposed to do. What are you What are you advising me to What are you advising me to do with regards to my life? Well, we're hoping that you have a realistic outlook as far as what you you know what you can do, what you're willing to do, and what you're willing to earn. And as long as you have reasonable expectations based upon your experience, um, then we talk to people who know you. We try to get a couple of references, just brief conversations with people, and it doesn't have to be somebody that you met yesterday. It could be earlier in your life. Just trying to gauge sort of like, what is that 360 degree picture? And then it's uh, having conversations with employers and sort of determining who right now has, you know, has the, uh, has the ability to sort of take on this individual and see if he or she has the ability to be a, successful employee I mean it's a, it's do you have hope a, do you have hope for me so if I come for if I come every, to yeah. talk to you am I walking yeah. out of your office going I'm hopeful that these guys are going to be able to help me get my life back on or are they 
are they telling me that, look, you're a, not that you would ever say this, yeah. but you know, you, ah, you're a piece of shit with a criminal history, you can't get a job, you're never gonna do that, are you? I think of all the things that David said, though, you, ha you, know, you have to come to the table with some realistic expectations. expectations. And I think that for yeah. people in, in especially yeah. early recovery, that's a hard thing to reconcile. You know, I was, a, yeah. I was a manager in this organization, and I was making 25 bucks an hour, and I've gone through these really hard times, and, and now all of a sudden I'm, I'm clean and sober, and I want back in. But I well, think I'm, it's hard to, to, yeah. to jump right back in where you left off. I don't want to hate being critical of the treatment field or any of that, but I suppose I will a little bit. Wow. There is yeah. there is some validity to the fact that when people go into treatment, they're so broken and they're so down on themselves that part of what you're trying to do is build them back up and make them feel good. But sometimes we go a little bit over the top and, and you're right, like I can, I can dream to be the president of the United States. You know what, that ship probably sailed with my second DWI and other, <laughs> like, so you, you, you know, I have to come in there with realistic expectations. I'm not gonna come to you and you're gonna go, oh yeah, we have a $125,000 a year manager's job even though you have no experience because you've been sober for 60 days. That's not what's going to happen. So we, we need to be realistic about that. Is it? Yeah, I mean, it would be wonderful if we lived in a world whereby somebody could go through a treatment. Let's just say they were a $50,000 a year earner. They go through the treatment, and really the only opportunities out there are somewhere between like 35 and 40. I'm thinking like 17, 50 to 20 bucks an hour. Right. And if there was a way to have the government sort of uh, subsidize their existence so it's almost paying that difference while they're sort of getting themselves back on their feet work-wise, I mean, that would be a, a really wonderful program so that there's sort of be, that you're working, you're only gonna get this additional money on top of your earnings. You're not gonna get paid to not work. Right. You're gonna get paid to, hey, we're gonna help you, we're gonna give you a sort of a five-year window so that if you do get back to work, roll up your mm -hmm. sleeves and get at it and you're successful and you keep climbing that ladder, we're gonna make that, that pain be, uh, perhaps uh, alleviate it is, some. You bring up a valid, that's one of the biggest problems in, in our society is that the safety net is designed to help the really, really, really people who are on the bottom of the scale and probably the tax code is written to help the people that are really on the top of the scale, those middle of the road earners. I can't tell you, we have personal stories in our company of people making 14, 15, 16 dollars an hour that we offered to give them a 50 cent an hour raise and they came back to us after and said, would you take my raise away because I lost my heap money and I lost my SNAP yeah, benefits and, it, and that's more than what the 50 cents an hour gave me. And it's like, so that, therein is part of the problem. Like, right. like we, okay, you've made it out of that rung where you're not homeless anymore, now you're on your own. And it's like, you know, if we just help them a little longer until they got up to where they were making $45,000 a year, Think of how much better it would be for them. Like, right. let, let's do a little bit of incentivizing. And I think you're right. We don't do near enough of that. So let me ask you this. So you yeah. created this MHAB, yep. and it's really had an amazing impact mm -hmm. in our community and and changing the lives of people. And I know that it's changing my life because it's one of the better lunch places in town. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for that. We're glad you're, 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 glad you're patronizing us. It feels us. great. Food's good. The food's really good. Great I, food, I, great I ate that sandwich and I was like, this is like one of the better sandwiches I've had in years. <laughs> it's like back when, uh, what, the, what, the Broadview Deli was yep. open? Like, yes, yep. that's right. That was one of the better delis yep. in the area back in the day. And I'm like, this is a great sandwich and the prices are great and these chips, I'm, I'm like a, I'm sort of a chip snob. Yep. These are great <laughs> chips, and they're reasonably priced. Yep. Um, 
So you've been doing that and giving people meaningful work experiences yeah. through Absolutely. that, right? Yeah. And then yep. helping people get employed. All of our food is prepared by people who are in recovery. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. it, All of our, our our operations are operated by people yeah. who are in recovery no. over there. It's a cool thing. It's Very a home. Cool. So, yeah. like, if we have as we're opening up our office, let's say in in St. Lawrence County in Potsdam, yeah. is there any way to sort of bring MHAB along and have that sort of be expanded? Do you have expansion plans for MHAB? So, you know, the short answer to that is, is no. <laughs> the, We're done, folks. There's, there's, wait, wait, there's more, Thanks, because coming, there is yeah. more. The and short answer to St. that Lawrence is County. no. I think that, you know, for us, we're a, a family-owned company, and you know my father and, and Mary, who are the principal owners, are obviously older and, and retired, and and uh, you know so there's there's some there's some family dynamics that go on to how do we you know transition the business to you know sure. what's the long-term plan, and I think that we honestly haven't sat down and even really you know figured out what that long-term plan is. I'm right. 57 years old. Betsy's 58 years old. Oh my um, gosh. Really? Actually, you're not quite 58 yet, right? I am yet, absolutely right? not. 13 days you know, younger 26 than 26 days and younger And you know what? We don't, we don't have kids in sure. the business, so you know we don't have necessarily a, su a succession plan. Um, so, uh, so it's a little bit undecided. I think with MHAB, if I were going to grow MHAB, I would probably want to do it in other parts of the country where it was spearheaded by somebody there that I could help them set up almost in a consulting place. And I'll tell you why I think that. I think it's hard when you're doing something as specific as MHAB to do it as an outsider coming into a community. Part of the reason why MHAB works here is because I am so entrenched in the recovery community, whether it's treatment, recovery, business, any of those things. So if we were gonna say, let's do something in Messina, or wherever in St. Lawrence County, the first thing you have to do is where can we find a space that works for that? Right. You know, because the residential part of it is there. And then can we find somebody in recovery that wants to be the driving force? Mm -hmm. Not that I would be opposed to, you know, being the money behind it if that were the case or whatever, but it would need to be in conjunction with somebody that lived there that wanted to be the driving force right. to do it. Because I think it's too hard to do. Well, that's exactly an any business that you open up additional right. offices. You have to find people yeah. who are passionate about your business yeah. in that community who are well connected. Yep. And they have to be in recovery. That's the other sure. key. It's got to be, you know, somebody in recovery. And the truth is, you know, if you think about it, there's a few business people that I know in this community that are in recovery, but it's not predominant. Like the majority right. of business people are not afflicted with this. It's not, you know, so it is a little more difficult to find somebody. It's not just the regular employment search, I guess, Absolutely. is the way I think about it. It's, you know, you talk about being in the people business. I mean, like courier staffing is the people business. MHAB is, is absolutely absolutely the people, people business. business and and part of what makes it work is is really the composite of people that we've brought together to help make it run and function but it is it's kind of like how do you franchise an MHAB mic like can you franchise that can somebody be the representative MHAB mic in a in, in a, a, you know, a community in, in St. Lawrence and and I guess I guess it's probably possible there is only one MHAB mic <laughs> This is true. There can't be another. There can't be another. It's a logo. Right? Yes, that's exactly right. You should see the caricature image. I mean, M. Have Mike's caricature is pretty cool. But I would tell you, you and I think you and I think a lot alike, and we are entrepreneurial. And when you were talking about, you know, the ramp program and going out west and across the lake and stuff, 
I'm listening to you and in my mind I'm going, I wonder if we could do kind of a, a ramp program in conjunction with him for people in recovery. Like let's expand it beyond. So I'm, it's yeah. so funny that you and I think like that. Like how do we, you know, what is it that we can do? Because I think that program, that program that you have for high school students is almost easily transferable to people getting out of treatment in recovery. It's so similar, you know, because there are people who come out of treatment, go right back to their work and have their job. That's not the norm. The majority of people who go to treatment haven't worked for a period of time, probably had some homelessness, poverty issues, that type of stuff. So they're in that same boat. They don't even know what they want to do. I'm 30 years old. I right. have no idea what I want my life to be now that I'm clean. So it's not dissimilar to people coming out of high school you know, without having a plan. It's very right. similar. And I think we could do, do that and duplicate it in well, other We could places. almost even have a ramp counselor, a ramp coordinator who mm -hmm. is, instead of like in, in St. Lawrence County, we have an individual who was, you know, for 30 plus years, a guidance counselor at one of the high schools out there. And he was a president of the guidance council association mm -hmm. for that region and sort of very, very well connected throughout the, the whole county. And it's mm -hmm. one of the largest counties in upstate New York, if not the largest, if I'm not mistaken. But we, it would, I don't think it would be that hard to hire a ramp counselor who is focused on those in recovery. Yeah. And I'll tell you, that would be an easier do, Dave, if we did it without the residential part. Right. Like if we did it with the MHAB, you know, call it, you know, ramp MHAB work, whatever. Right. Do it without the residential piece. The hard, the residential part is the hard part. You sure. know, we have a hundred people living over there. You know, we have a good executive director who's got an understanding. Our property managers in recovery has a great understanding. So that becomes the harder piece. But if we did it without the residency piece, moving the MHAB program kind of the life skills that we're trying to focus on in conjunction with employment great idea yeah i think we ought to i think we ought to we should sit down and have more conversations that. Yeah. around that without a doubt because yeah. it's it you know you part of it is you can't find enough people and if you can sort of talk to these different pools of individuals yeah. and appropriately represent them in the marketplace then uh, it's a home run for everybody. It's one of the things that Gary Douglas said to me when we first started MHAB. He brought that up. He said, you know, you're tapping into another pool of, of you know, potential employees that a lot of employers haven't been willing to tap into or, or have, maybe not even not willing, haven't known, like didn't don't think right. about it. So they don't, you know, it's not, they're not thinking about it every day, so they're not there. But if you think about it, you know, we have 80 people at MHAB, and if you, you use the kind of recovery number, you know, let's say that 75% of them are employable. 25% are, you know, not. They're on permanent disability or they have some, you know, something that precludes them from working. But that means you have 60 people that are available to go to work. Like, that's a pretty good number in this community. Yeah, and you know what? I mean, if I think back over my 20-plus year uh, career in the, the people business staffing in general you know early on I've always felt like for the majority of the companies um, the HR people hired us to keep those people away right like mm. uh, w it, they wanted you to screen out yeah, screen out the yeah, bad people and like, give me listen right. let those go work at my competitor right. I want to. I want you to so really select and sort of curate so that the individuals that we're meeting don't have any of these problems. We want to insulate ourselves from that. And you know, when you get to low, low, low unemployment numbers, at some point people are like, "Heck, we we can't be that way anymore." And mindsets have to change. And it does take. And again, we've talked about it already. It does take moments like you yeah. speaking, you know, in a community. And hopefully, that's happening in more communities than less. 
But when that happens, then people are like, what the hell am I doing here? You know, okay, that, those 60 people, I, I've been looking for 10 good employees. I've been probably looking right past this organization for far too long. Let's get these yeah. people in here, which is why we are so dedicated in coming over to MHAB yeah. at least once every two weeks. And Jared will, you know, it's sort of like the bat phone. He'll, he'll come here with regularity as he has. But if you have somebody who needs, yeah. if he was here yesterday and you want somebody to meet with him today, he's back. Uh, he's been great. He's great. Francis calls him. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'll be right yeah. over. I can come over today. And you know, it's funny, you bring up a valid point. You know, when you think about our company, if you, I'm the president and CEO. I'm a multi-arrest guy, <laughs> lots of troubles. Our guy, Telly, that runs a camera and is re responsible for sales in this company started out in the warehouse. How long have you been clean for? 10 years? Nine, 10 years? I have one of our guys that runs our, is one of our managers out in fulfillment, had 14 felony arrests. Right. You know, was facing lengthy jail time. Now he's a manager in our company, our lead maintenance guy. Like we're just right. littered with people that if you just looked at their resume and didn't take the time to get to know them, you would Wouldn't not put them in positions yep. of leadership. And yet they're people that lead our successful 40 plus year business uh, every day right. and lead us into the future. It's, it's you know, for me I go, when you get somebody and they get clean and they get their shit together and they do this, they can become fabulous, valuable employees. I mean, it really is, you know, forget about the fact that I'm trying to get them employed. They will become an asset to your company. No, like it's, it's, and it's, it, you know, you I, know, I can get really, really sort of like passionate about that because it's, it's just human nature. Like when I was a young kid, when I was quite young, we were like, I really like none of my youth involved us having any success like we had shit cars yeah. we had we lived in we, we small homes family strife all kinds of challenges you know money was never there I, I we, we we grew up kind of on the wrong side of the tracks you know I think we there was an effort to try to not be on the wrong side of the tracks yeah. but from my experience and especially as I compared myself to some of my peers like it was just it was tough yeah but as a young boy, when I, when I first started playing Little League Baseball, and I realized that me being a pitcher on the Little League team down in Binghamton, and the teammates chanting my name, and then we won, 1976 was best, you know, best team, and it was hailed by David Coyer on the mound, and, you know, and Bart Hurt, and a bunch of other guys, and I still remember these guys' names, I haven't lived down there in so long, but it was like an early, early impression that effort can lead to success. And once you taste that, even just a little bit, it just changes your life. Yep. Same thing with employment. If you give somebody the opportunity to come inside and give them the space to have some success and reinforce that success and support that success and allow them to do better, it is life-changing. Yep. I mean, they just feel better about themselves. They're, they're, they're happier spouses, they're kinder mm -hmm. parents, and they're probably going to be meaningful participants in this thing we call life, mm -hmm. our economy, you know, um, the community, society. right? Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. that's what it's all about. Yeah. And if you don't do that, you really, you know, mm -hmm. then be careful what you wish for, because then mm -hmm. you have individuals who aren't successful, who are frustrated, who are angry, and now you have that those are the those are the the, the school shooters. Yep. You know the, the people who do all kinds of. That's where things. the criminal stuff comes from. If people get forgotten long enough yeah. and not given opportunity, they just feel like okay, society just didn't do anything to help me. And 
you're right, and I'm, I'm in agreement. I don't think society is necessarily responsible for doing everything for you, but we have to be willing to give people an opportunity. Like if you think about telly, that's what we did with you. We gave you an opportunity, is that right? Yeah. Is that a fair assessment? And, and you know, Which now is he's awesome. grown into, you know, now he's flourished into a, a bunch of other things, you know? So it's, it's pretty cool. So listen, what else was I gonna ask today? Did I have anything else that I wanted to know? So one of the things I did want to say to you, and I want to be so, I'm so thankful that you started this company five years ago because one of the best things that you did for us as a company is you put a team in all of the golf tournaments and you guys are now the worst golf team in Plattsburgh, so we no longer are the worst golf team anymore. So we're incredibly appreciative, Dave, that you and your team are yeah. worse than us. Didn't we, we have two we, years in a row? Two years in a row where you were most likely to improve or whatever. Yeah. What's the word they call it? There might be other reasons why we're incredibly happy that you started Courier Staffing, not just because you suck at golf. But, but we do <laughs> like the fact that they're not very good. That's a, that's a good thing. Hey, listen, I, if there's, there's going to be a day that we're going to show up and not do well, it's going to be on the golf course. And I'll say, we're just working too hard. You know? That's fine. Don't hire Ed Davis or anybody like that. I don't, you know, I don't need you to become the best really golf, team, your team. golf team right. anymore. That's do you have any cool. final thoughts for us with regards to employment and recovery? Anything, parting words you'd like to leave us no, with? No, I, I just think that, um, you know, I think the efforts that we're making in our community, you know, we just need to, we need to, further the efforts, we need to work collectively, but we also, you know, especially as we come out of this pandemic and we have so many companies that are doing so much hiring, a, a slippery slope that I'm starting to witness right now is the companies out there that are, you know, that are willing to hire people who, who like right now, okay, let me back up. Several of the high schools in our region are facing, uh, 25 to 45% of their graduating class won't graduate. Like they, they haven't, that is, those are real numbers. School to school, I only know this because we're inside of these schools, so we have large, po large swaths of the population mm -hmm. who won't have the, the, the credits, right, yep. to graduate in, by June. Is that because of the pandemic or is that yeah. just? Pandemic, remote learning, yeah. despondency, yep. all mm -hmm. kinds okay. of this sort of like just. Thanks just, for the clarity yeah, on that. Just, yeah. just, so I think we as a community are doing a great job coming together, trying to figure out ways to help these people so that they do get their graduation. But and I, what I don't want to have, and, and there are, there's just whisperings of employers who are willing to sort of say, hey, listen, if you don't graduate, we'll still employ you. And I think that there, we have to be careful because I think we ought to keep that carrot out there. We're willing to employ you, but at some point between now and September, we got to figure out some way for you to actually get that diploma, to get that, uh, yeah. to, 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 to cross that off in your list of life because we certainly don't want to be an organization or a community, rather, that sort of, uh, we want to be supportive of individuals in their, in their toughest time, but we don't want to be encouraging behavior that is going to sort of sort of rear its ugly head down the road and be well, limiting will, to individuals. Could we look it, will, at it? it will limit opportunity right. in, you know, for the future, not just their todays. But right. Could but, we look know? at that like, like an Empire State College or something does where we looked at work experience possibly being used to garner, to offset the lack of credits that, that you got from high school? The, the, matter of fact, the, that very conversation was what we were having this morning was why I wasn't 
able to come here earlier. Yep. We're sort of having conversations with one of our local high schools about that, how we at Courier Staffing and our RAMP program can be supportive of individuals as they do this sort of a credit recovery yep. uh, exercise. Um, yeah, I would love to see sort of the work experience that people are having be used as credit. Um, New York State Ed is not that quick to move. I don't right. know how, how flexible they're going to be, but I just, I, I want the employers to sort of, let's keep the integrity high, let's yeah. be super supportive, let's let people work, but let's, let's let people work with the idea that, hey, we'll get you to that degree, we'll get you across that stage, right. so yep. that you won't have that limiting, yep. uh, limiting situation on your Smart. resume five years down the road. You know, we're not a huge employer, I think we have 60 or 65 people right now, but we would happily be involved in whatever that you know that is going to be. I mean, we you know as as much as I'm not a you know I'm a I say this story regularly. I'm a high school graduate from the class of 1981, 82, and 83 because I <laughs> failed out in 81 and 82 and actually got my diploma in 1983 from an entry program at Clinton Community College. That's how I was able to get enough credits to actually get a high school diploma. And you know what it. I guess it does. It means something to me to have that. Like yeah. it's an, it's important to have that. So I, I'm I'm on board with you. And however we this. can so we can help. So not only are you the poster child for recovery, you're now the poster child for non-traditional education. I love this about you. So let me ask you this: as we, as we wrap this up and we're talking about all these different, <laughs> so topics, we're on board. The one, yeah. The, the one thing that I want to ask is: that, have you have you made it public that when you and I were first meeting and developing our friendship? Because I feel like we have had a friendship, we've had a business relationship all these years, but it's really been a friendship that. I was like pulling you, kicking and screaming to kind of get you out of your office and be involved in any way publicly in the I community. I thought I was going to get beyond <laughs> this with you, but yes, if you need me to acknowledge that, yes, early. And, 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 I'm, and here's the thing, I've, if you know who I am and you know my, the, the kind of person I am, I am, I'm ever the cheerleader of people around me. I, I love talking wonderful things about my wife. I have friends who I, I tout their abilities and their, and their, their achievements. I love talking uh, about yeah. people in that way. When I was, I don't take credit like, hey, I made you. I sort of like, I knew all that you would, I, I, I sensed all that you would deliver and contribute to the community, it, but it was a little bit of a tipping point. Yeah? One of the first things that you, it was you and Debbie Momot dragged me to breakfast with Bob Smith over at the diner in the Skyway Plaza to talk about vision to action. Vision to action. Years, it was one of the first, right. and I was so, you badgered me for a long time to come and be like, just come on, involved be in that. You you did. I, I, always, I often think of it in terms of, there were a couple people when I first got into business, Mark Berry being one of them, who were always incredibly supportive of me. And then as I was in business for a little while, it was really you, you, Debbie Momot, Bob Smith, and John Bernardi were the four people who spent a lot of time pushing me to be more involved in stuff going on in the community. There were a lot of other people, but you're right, Dave. You were you were one of those people early on that that pushed. And it was hard. probably some yeah. of the first connection you made because yeah. you two did uh, you two yeah. took a proportion of vision to action and and did events that were wildly successful. Didn't you work together on we, some of that? And some of those yeah. events, yeah, yeah. and the mayor debates and yep. things of that nature. Yeah. Right. And then when and then when we did the Spark thing, it was you. You were when we yeah. did Spark. You were the yep. first guy I went to and said, "Hey, we got to talk about employers. Let's do this." So yes, you. So yes, you get credit for for helping <laughs> me become the 
Poster child. Poster well, child uh, or whatever you know, the hell I I wouldn't had. bring it up if I couldn't in turn give you credit. <laughs> you know, when I was first exited from my former employer, that which shall not be named. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, we'll leave that off today. Yes. Good idea. Um, when we met at McDonald's, mm -hmm. I will tell you this, because you and I had breakfast at yep. McDonald's, yep. and one of the more moving moments of that entire period, I, hadn't, I didn't, we, we had not even thought, it was like literally the day after, or yep. two days after I was yep. exited, you and I met for breakfast. Yep. And I think that one of the, you said to me, what do you need? And if you want, just come to work for me tomorrow. Here's what I'll pay you. Yep. And uh, I'll let you do this. And I think if you remember, it brought me to tears yeah. in the moment. Yeah. And I won't get emotional about it now. Mm -hmm. But I think that, and I could if I let myself. But what it did for me is it did give me sort of like, it's, it's kind of like that safety net that you give yeah. your, ch your children. Yeah. It's like, honey, we're going to start a business and we're going to do our best. And But I'm thinking... But if it all, <laughs> it all blows up in my face, <laughs> right. I at least I have know. a place to go. I have right. a place to go. I have a place They're to go, and I know me. I'll be able to provide for my, my family and my kids and all that. But it was super meaningful, and I don't think you just threw that out there half-heartedly. I think you would have employed me. Yeah. You would have paid me well. I would have yeah. worked my ass off for you. Yeah. But instead of doing that, I hope that you never think that I was looking down my nose at that opportunity. It gave me the encouragement and sort of the, the belief in myself that, hey, we can go out here, we can start our own business, and if all hell uh, yep. uh, comes in, then I can well, like, there's I, I'll at least have somebody in the community who There's four me. of us that run the company, Herb, Mary, myself, and Betsy, and Herb and I and Mary were all on board with hiring you. Um, we had to drag <laughs> Betsy along. She was not as an amateur. And I'm going to tell you the other thing. When I, this you is know, the funny you know story. There is not even when, an ounce of that that's even true. So not on any level, David. When we were first doing business with you, you came over and worked in pick and pack. Yes. Incognito. You were like, we, yeah. we were like, you, you were like, I got to see what the people need. I got if I'm going to put good people over there, I have to know what they do. So you came over and worked at. I think it was a night shift, if yes. I remember it, right. You came over and worked like three to eleven back in the I Miller days, this goes oh, way geez. back. And I think that after you left, we had somebody go back and audit your work and you'd done so poorly in picking <laughs> garments that we were like, we wouldn't hire this guy to pick, even if we Can I tell you that? that was, <laughs> I think, he, that I think they love to pick on me about how horrible my work was. But the truth of the matter, but that was like, I tell that story to this day. And, because here we are, we're selecting individuals, we're putting people into your company, we're wondering why they're not lasting, why they're not being successful hard. So I'm like, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna, you know, I've got my college degree, I have all this, I don't need this job, I'm gonna go over here and do that, I'm gonna see what it's all about. It was one of the hardest jobs I've ever had, because it was like, it was hard to see and in some respect, you know, you go back into the corners of the warehouse and like the numbers are small and what do I have to do with this and how many quantities and where is everything? And I was like, holy smoke. Like, I know why this is a hard job because it's a hard job. <laughs> right, it's not as easy as you think. No, it was so, good. Yeah, so over the years we've built a good friendship that spilled over into business and I'm, I'm happy to call you my friend and, and a business colleague. Likewise. And, and I'm thankful for everything that you've done for me personally um, in dragging me out, you know, because ironically, Dave, it's probably what I needed. You know, there was, I don't know if I ever wanted to be, didn't want to be, whatever the case was, but, you know, it, I probably wouldn't have ventured out into the public arena on my own if, you know, good people like you and Debbie and Bob and it hadn't said, 
look, you you have some value. You should come sure. do this. And so I'm I'm incredibly appreciative, and I I'm appreciative of you coming in today and talking to us about. Uh, this is a lot of fun. Kind of yeah. some cool stuff. Yeah. Will you come back and see us again? Anytime. Right, I love it. Cool. As long as they'll have me back, I'll come back. Well, maybe Absolutely. we'll have Elizabeth come too because that she might fun. have a little better information than you know you do. But <laughs> you, see, you and you I could just come. Without, without, a, any, like, no, without a doubt, better information. But, you and uh, I can no, just she'd be a lot of fun on this as well. You know, it's interesting. You say uh, you know you're thanking him, and, and you know I think it ties back to this whole element of some of the work that you're trying to do with RAMP and, and, and working with employers on creating opportunity for connection. And it happens at all levels, right? You have to have somebody ask you to participate in something, right? You mm -hmm. want to set the table for them to at least have a chance to, to explore all of this great skills that they have. And, you know, you've done a lot of great work in the community. Well, what I, I yeah, wait a minute, because what I really you. found out, though, is afterwards, Coyer and Momot and all them, they dragged me in there so that they would have to do less shit. Like, once <laughs> I was in there, then they were like, so I learned the same thing. Like, I bring people in, you build them up, tell them what you're doing, then as soon as they're in, you're out. You know, they, they don't have to do anything else. Right? They're very good Succession at that. Succession planning. Yes. I like it. So thanks so much for coming. Absolutely. We appreciate it. Thanks. Thank David. you. And thank you all for watching today. This podcast will be available sometime in the near future. How do we do today, Brittany? We do good. Was it, can I ask you a question? Was I, when Betsy was talking, was I like thinking, did you see it? Like the wheels turning in my head like you told me the other day? I was trying. Because now I was thinking about it after you said that to me. I'm like, wow. She accused me when you're talking of not listening to you and being <laughs> preparing what I'm going to say next. And did you next. see how hard he had to work and, uh, at it? He was like, <laughs> he was like was white like, knuckling on the thing. Okay, I'm trying to listen. I'm trying to listen. Uh, I can't. Being an active listener is hard. It's hard to really listen and not think about what you're going to say next. It's, it's the hardest thing about doing any conversations in general. But I mean, when you start to record them and video record them, I think it's a lot of people, they get sort of like tongue-tied because they're thinking about how they're sounding as opposed to just having a conversation. Well, I actually okay. listened to all the interesting people here. <laughs> Such a jackass. Hey, listen, you got to do the commercial to get us out. You all right, so please visit mhab.org, go on the marketplace, go on, watch the, watch the podcast, read the blogs, look around, see the tour. Do whatever the hell you want on mhab.org. There's, there's a lot, a lot of, of really cool. There's a lot of really on. cool fun We're stuff. And if you visit mhab.org, you can get the link to CVFC, and you can go on and uh, look at all the stuff they're doing, book club, and all the things that are going oh, the great on. There is for also a link to Coyer Staffing on our website that you there can look as is. one of our partner agencies. So yes, we're thankful for that. And with all that said, we're going to close today's podcast with two words: COVID, COVID out. out. Cool. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I like it. Thanks for joining us today at Recovery Uncovered. No matter where you are in your recovery journey, or if you're supporting the recovery journey of a loved one, just know today is the first day of the rest of your life. Visit our website at mhab.org. And if you want to become an old timer in recovery, don't use and don't die. This has been Recovery Uncovered.